This is an after-school program podcast. Welcome to the Home Studio Hangout podcast, where we explore what it's like building, running, and working out of a home studio with your hosts, Joshua Matatuck, Andrew Simmons, and many guests in different areas of the music industry. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Studio Hangout Podcast. Me and Josh have a great friend of ours named John McLucas on today. John McLucas is a fantastic producer, mix engineer, and content creator from multiple different platforms. He is from the Los Angeles, California area. We're super excited to have him. We go through his growth as a uh, musician first and then kind of get into his song writing and producing and mix engineer side of things, as well as more recently his content creation side of things and some other business things that he's doing. Uh, So get ready for an exciting, exciting episode. I did want to give a heads up for any of those listening with children around. Today's episode gets a little spicy in the conversation. John talks about some of the more difficult things of growing up uh, and coming up in LA um, in the music scene. And some of the stuff he had to do is a little bit, and some of the stuff he experienced is a little bit graphic or extreme. And there's some profanity and things like that. So if uh, you have kids around, Maybe listen to this without their uh, little ears around. So just a warning and a heads up. But now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. And welcome back to the Home Studio Hangout podcast. Uh, We have... My friend from the West Coast, my favorite ginger boy producer, John McLucas, with us. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was, uh, I always wonder what kind of intro introduction I'll get, and I've never gotten my favorite ginger boy. So Aww. this is, this is good. I'm, Already I'm very excited. <laughs> we, we have high expectations. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, we were just talking a little bit before. I didn't want to get too far into it. I mean, it seems like we're going to have a very easy conversation today. But, John, I just wanted to kind of, like, dive into you as a producer. Maybe, like, start with kind of your upbringing in music and, like, your backstory and how you got to, we'll say, like, everything pre-producer uh, with you first. Yeah. <laughs> Because I no, think, do, do you want do you want like a sixty second version of five minute or uh, three, like mean, like how like what's the time frame so I can condense and get the juiciest meat? You know, uh, I mean, you could probably do like a, a casual two, a casual two, yeah, a casual uh, two or a tight three, yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just making it up. No, this yeah. is the co- the the evening caffeine's hitting because yep. I got oh, I, I got a I, I got a coast into the night yeah. with this. Um, so I guess to, to, I guess pre producer, like real producer it for myself, it always came in. I mean, so people, I guess have quick context. Like my primary source of income is, is producing and creating instrumentals and mixing music and working with primarily modern pop based artists. And I have a, that's pretty much it. That's the long short of it. Mm. And before that it was more took the form of me being the leaders of like my band my my band in high school and 
a lot of the things that looking back, it's like pre pre business things. So you know, stuff where you put on a show in your driveway and you know sell tickets to like that and you i got like the street permit to close off the block and you know it's like you lie to them and you're like oh it's just a block party with some casual music and we got rock bands playing in the driveway <laughs> flyering the the blocks around it to to alert them yeah. so they don't get the police called on us stuff like that like a lot of that entrepreneurial <laughs> i want to do some stuff so i'm going to figure it out make it happen. energy that Loki, and that was the first time I made like we made a couple hundred bucks, and that was game changing. There you go for this us is- at the time. Actually, no. Okay, the show made a couple hundred bucks. I put one hundred twenty five dollars <laughs> of my own money to have a porter potty dropped off on the street, so we didn't have sixty five people going to our house to <laughs> to poop. That's but, awesome. You know, whatever. Yeah, I took whatever. it. I was an investment in my future as a yeah. businessman. This in is my local so. This is all like because uh, you're from originally Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, I grew up like in the well, I mean I grew up I guess as that Around became it. a thing. Yeah. But yeah, I grew up like east 12 minutes is Facebook, mm-hmm. south 20 minutes is Apple. You know, we're right in the thick of all the the enormous changes that went on down there. But that mm-hmm. was really like the start. Like it started way yeah. back then. It was just like cool. I like to I like this. Yeah. Bunch of tech companies coming around building all this stuff. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I like the driveway stuff. I don't like oh. that the families for generations are being pushed out of their homes and forced forced exactly. out of it to no uh, problems of their own. <laughs> but, you know, when Facebook buys like an entire neighborhood and levels it, uh, that's what they do. Yeah, we won't go down do. that road, though. Yeah, exactly. Not, no, not today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, so first intro to music is like you – let's say this. Is your family musical at all? No, funny enough. I, like, really? This is all no, not made up. <laughs> um, th- this kind of started with me for going real, like straight up Genesis on music. So my mom is actually the reason I started making music. So she, in her 40s, in when I was 10, she decided to start taking guitar lessons because when she was 14, her she, she was had an interest in music, but her father had a stroke. And she became a primary caregiver for him, and she really missed out on an opportunity to be creative mm-hmm. and musical. So she, in her 40s, she was like, F it. I'm going in. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to do this because I got to do this as a kid. And then she told my sister and I, like, pick something. You're going to take some lessons. Just try it out. And if you hate it, like, we can stop, but you have to give it a try. And then I picked drums. Two lessons later, she bought a drum kit. My parents had a fight about it. And then uh, I have the same drum kit. So it's still, then, it's still great. <laughs> I've taken it around the country. And yeah. it's that was the genesis of it all was just that decision like of her as an adult wanting to live through that creative expression and kind of pushed us to make that same thing. And next thing you know, you're dropping porta potties on your lawn and closing down streets. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> she had no idea the havoc I'd be raising. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so – Let's fast forward a little bit into so you get really good at drums. That's kind of like your thing. Um, you had a stint touring and being like the drummer, so because you had you were in a band that toured a whole lot, right? But then you also and you also did the whole uh, drummer for hire thing for a while. Am I yeah? Am I correct both. in that? Okay, you did both mm-hmm. in that. Like, uh, so what was? I mean, how old? How, what at what age were you doing that? Oh, shoosh. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, when did I leave that band? Oh, oh my God, four years this month, guys. <laughs> Let's celebrate. Um, <laughs> but no, straight up. Yeah, so I guess four years ago is when I left. So 
that started about 18, so maybe about five and a half years ago was when I started touring. So I was barely 21 <laughs> going Young, on tour. <laughs> fresh face, no beard. Yeah. Oh, I have fully fresh face with a bunch of dudes in their like mid upper thirties who are like big, thick guys with a bunch of beards and tattoos and stanky and all this energy. Just like me, this little baby <laughs> coming on the road with them. But yeah, so I, I got to cut my teeth on that end as well, both yeah, as a hired gun, just mm-hmm. getting paid per week on the road or per gig, as well as being a member of a band and, you know, doing the whole higher risk, higher reward stuff. Mm. So I, I got to go through a good amount of the country a handful of times and really enjoyed that experience. But of course, then to push the forward story forward, it's mm-hmm. like, Ain't throwing them under the bus, but they pretty much had people sustaining their lives, and I didn't. So, yeah. no, I mean, yeah, it's like, that's... How, how many times can you go on the road for four weeks and make zero dollars? <laughs> and then, like, wow, I'm running out of savings. So, nobody's paying my bills right now besides yeah. me. So, we, I kind of got to pick a lane at this point, and that pushed me to leave it and and either say it's got to be hired gun or I'm doing my own thing right now. Gotcha. And was, go, uh, go into that space was. So school was school during that before that or after that as far as like because you did musicians institute right yeah so I, I did their audio program and then some of like a la carte classes mm-hmm. until I picked up enough work to to okay, be out so, of town for two weeks so that was uh, after so yes yeah, so it was after okay. and then as an audition from the school was where I met that band that I joined gotcha. so I auditioned to drum for them and then that ended up working out and t- took off from there yeah so. I don't like to give MI too much credit. Yeah, no, 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 that's fair. I, just, <laughs> uh, I have I have uh, mixed reviews about that, but yeah, as you know, most people. That's where it started. It's more about the uh, a lot of people, and this is kind of the the mass. I would say the the mass uh, agreement is it's not so much about the knowledge as it is about the connections and the effort put forth by the individual mm-hmm. in those kind of situations. It's more about the people you meet. Yeah. Oh, and, and when you show up to like every office hour and take full advantage of mm-hmm. the access, like and abuse it as much as you can, right. like that's what the teachers want to see. And then you get, then you get all the cool stuff. Like I showed up and indicated I was hungry, and then he's like, "Yo, come engineer my band." And I'm like, "Cool." I, I, I think uh, as <laughs> as as uh, as people kind of as we talk, I think the common uh, the common thread is going to be, um, I was hungry for it. And other people weren't, I think with you, at least me knowing you decently well. uh, Yeah, I think that's like the common thread in your life is you were just more hungry than everybody else for what you wanted. You know what I mean? Um, And so you go in my, you do the band thing. What did it look like going from band to I want to make produce music? Or was that always was producing always in the in the pipeline for you? Yeah, for for myself, that transition it was going on like since MI, obviously very okay. badly, but you know, yeah. <laughs> trying a bunch of crap out, but like just trying a bunch of stupid yeah. stuff and doing my best. And that so when I took when I left the band and was like, I'm gonna do the audio thing, I had I was in the red pretty much every month, but mm-hmm. I had some savings saved up. So I was like in the red while doing the band thing and barely skating by. And then I was running out of savings. So I was like, all right, guys, you got to not trying to do the whole debt thing. Yeah. <laughs> not trying to do that whole like credit card interest yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. 
if I can avoid it. Yeah. So I took that leap and I did very much like the Craigslist, you know, Craigslist, like Facebook group hustle, like, yo, yeah, you got 50 bucks, like come through for the day. Like, let's do something. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that 1940 minimum wage lifestyle Yeah, where uh, it's just like whatever, whatever you can or Billy yeah. Decker have audio can mix or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I think yeah. we all, I think we all relate to that. Cause like everybody's been there where you're like, man, I just work so hard. And then you look at your bank account and you're just like, this isn't okay. <laughs> it's, I think there's a, and to kind of get into speak to that too. I mm-hmm. think looking back, one of the hardest things is like, we need the most help when we're early and it's the hardest for us to accept the help when we're early. Mm-hmm. And that by far was the biggest thing. Like if I could have just done anything and, and to yell at that guy, like from four years ago, I'd be like, dude, you're cocky as heck. And Same. yeah, you, <laughs> and you need, you need to, you need to put your head down. You need to either like find somebody who will mentor you or pay to be under the guidance of somebody who's an expert and can cut through this bullshit right now because yep. you need, you need an adjustment and a reality check. Like you need somebody who's going to just, just keep you straight. For sure. Um, And it took me way too long to realize that, but you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I wish no. I would have, but yeah. it's hard when you're in that stage. You're just like, Oh, I'm forging my path. <laughs> yeah. I did that. I did that exact same thing, man. And then like, right whenever i was finally getting it like all this stuff happened and it was just a bad time in general but like yeah i really feel that because i did the exact same thing where you almost feel like you like convince yourself that you're doing better than you actually are almost i feel like Mm -hmm. that's a common thing that a lot of like new people in whatever Mm -hmm. field they're in do because you kind of finally build up your confidence and then it kind of just like takes the wheel (laughs) yeah you get like one gig where you get like a thousand dollars and you think you're jesus Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's you know and it's so interesting but i think part of it then it brings you to the inflection point where you essentially have to humble yourself and you put and it comes out of a point where you grow from it or it takes you to a point where you're crippled by your own ego and your own inability to be flexible and realize that that there's more to learn. And I think like that's where a lot of people fall off mm-hmm. to me. It's like, it's easy, not easy, but I'm saying you can get to the side hustle part, but then to like back against the wall, I ran, you know, ran out of savings. I'm like, cool. I got some, got like 20 days before my first credit card interest. I'm going to miss my first payment ever. Like, so let's, how, how can we do this? Like you hit those points and either mm-hmm. breaks people or you get humble and you start really evolving and being open to evolve and hearing what other people have to say yeah so yeah and and i guess i made it so (laughs) yeah well and i think that's that like so i guess the next part of the story which is the part that i think i've probably heard you speak on the most but i think everybody should hear you speak on at least in some format is the i want to do production time to let's make this full time and how did how did you get from it's such a good story I don't know if Josh knows this story or not, but the the story of I'm going to get this studio spot. I'm going to sleep here. I'm going to freaking work a, a million hours a week to make this happen. And then you made it full time. And so, like, let's start let's start from the beginning of that trajectory of your life. Yeah, well, it actually it starts 
and we're going through this so elegantly here. So it, it starts with the leaving that band four years mm-hmm. ago. And, you know, I had, I, well, I don't remember how much I had saved up. I had a quantity saved up from like working in high school mm-hmm. stuff that was my kind of padding. And by the time, yeah, so I left them in February. And at that point, it's so funny because you, you join a band. We had gotten a very generous record deal from from a like a, a guy who was essentially from like the older music industry wanted to come back and you know he's like i'm coming back in boys and uh, he, he had done some like really cool stuff from like an older generation of rock and metal mm-hmm. and so we had a deal we had pretty generous advance and like all this cool stuff happening so we're like oh we're gonna be on the road all the time we just opened for tool and coheed and primus and we're like we're gods it cannot be stopped and then it all collapsed but you know, as as it usually does. <laughs> but I made a decision to live in South Central Los Angeles when I was in that band in September prior to this February when I left because we were going to be on the road, you know, all these mm-hmm. big promises and all these things yeah. that then collapsed. And I was like, all right, guys, I got to make some money. So mm-hmm. I was now in a situation where I was in a four bedroom duplex with a bunch of my homies. But this is really bad neighborhood it's uh 39th and normandy if anybody knows if anybody's listening and is familiar south central expo park 39th and normandy let's go but um (laughs) you know it's like bars on the windows the taco bell has bulletproof glass at the drive-thru like you know that kind of a neighborhood so it was unsettling but i picked it because it's cheap as crap and i was supposed to be on tour all the time so now i'm in a situation where i live in a undesirable neighborhood and i'm supposed to like bring people over and like record in like a 110 square foot bedroom where I throw the mattress against the wall. And I like, I had made some fake curtains to like hide it. So I don't know. It was, it was, it was a setup, but whatever. And I was able to hustle to, to barely get through that. But when I was on tour with Hale Sagan, Nick planted the idea in my head of uh, Nick, the Kihano, the guitarist of like, Oh yeah, I lived in a rehearsal storage uh, rehearsal room and just, just lived in, in it illegally. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the place I was renting. Never <laughs> find out about it, but I think it's, so it's too late. It's too late. I am and so proud of you. This is so great. This is yeah. incredible, dude. Thank no, you. I, did, did, yeah. So, Josh, you don't know this story at all. No, do I, you? I don't know anything. No. About oh, this. yeah. So, oh, okay. so, yeah, so yeah, if it involves you living one. in a yeah, storage unit, so this is gold, John. Yeah. <laughs> we we travel we travel the world. Of course, you know, I tell him like where I am and all this stuff. He's like, dude, you should just. This is what I did for a time. I, I just lived in one of these twenty four hour lockout buildings. And just live there legally, you know, and that kept my overhead down. And I had my spot to play music and do the band thing, you know, because he was doing more band stuff. He um, was in like Power Power Man 5000. Is that the name? 9000? Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Power Man yeah. 5000, yeah. Yeah, that group. So, and he's like, it kept the overhead low. And I was like, wow, I've never thought of that before. And so that idea was what spawned me to go from living in the hood to just living, I guess, on the floor. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I guess. So... I took that leap in November and I lived kind of couch surfing with my sister for a few months while I figured this out to, yeah. So I moved in, it was 152 square foot rectangle. I had a little couch that I got for free from like a friend of a friend, had the studio desk and then a foam pad because we had this like overhang shelving that was high up. So I could essentially put that up there and like hide it. And then at night I would just pull it back down and unfold it and just throw a blanket on me. And like, that's, 
that's it. I would shower at the gym. So 24 hour fitness. I had like a whole routine to go there every day to do, take my showers, uh, microwave, a mini fridge and a lot of like microwaved oatmeal, <laughs> you know, just what I can make in a microwave. Um, and this is like not in a great area. I don't want to try to identify the building, but like mm-hmm. it was in a very industrial dangerous area. Like we had a, I had a run in, I didn't see the person, but I got like held up by the police because they thought I was the armed gunman that they were chasing off the highway that was now on the roof of the building. Um, it was rough. And I don't, like, that's all. I, oh, and then the second night. Okay. There's a ton of people who live there, by the way. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just a whole commune of people yeah, who didn't, yeah, yeah. couldn't afford to live in LA. Mm-hmm. Second night I'm there. I'm already freaked out. Like I grew up in a, like a middle-class family. So, for, you know, <laughs> I, I had a, um, a fairly stable upbringing with like a good family. So for me to just go live in this box uh, where I had no comforts, like the bathroom was fucking gross and there's mm-hmm. one stall and it was like broken half the time. So I have to go like across to the other building to even go to the bathroom. Second night I'm there, I'm like trying to go to sleep and I just hear like a bunch of doors slam. So give me back my baby. And I'm and, and it's just like, fuck you. And just, <laughs> And then I'm, I'm questioning in my head. I'm like, what have I done? And and like, I can't even tell my family because my because my mother is gonna drive down from Los An- from from where I grew up oh. and just just move my like she'll just like physically with restrain me and force me to leave. Like, but I couldn't afford to, to live anywhere else. And so I'm like, what do I even do? And and then it was over in a minute and a half. I don't know what unit it was. Like, and then I I I, I was just in so much like fear. So I literally spent a year like sleeping in this just janky ass place. I'm very confident there was a drug operation going on with another one of the units. Cause these guys would roll up in like Mercedes and just like chat. And I looked in and there was just a laptop on a desk in there. It's like, what are you guys doing? You're not making music. <laughs> yeah. There's just a laptop right there. And there's only Mercedes that drive up. So come on guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But so, th- so that's where I lived. <laughs> and like people would come over and be like, Hey John. So there's this guy like saying he forgot the door code. Uh, I didn't let him in then. I'm like, oh, thank God. And we'd have to have signs where it's like, don't pee on this wall. Like it was fucked up because um, like the people that would come up. Yeah. But that's what I did for 11 months. I didn't really have friends. I just worked. There was no sunlight in there. So I, I would just forget to see the sun because uh, I'd get up really early and like 5, 530, go to the gym, shower, come back, work, try to remember to see the sun, work the rest of the day, fall asleep. Like that was it. And that was my 11 months of just like insane, not going to lie, like a lot of emotional distress. Yeah. Weird. Like I still have PTSD sometimes when I hear noises when I lay down, like that's the effect that it, I didn't realize that until a month ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's what, that's was my, uh, you know, I talked about it speaking at the summit. Like that was my mm-hmm. eating, I guess I've already cursed. So I guess it's fine. That was my eating shit yeah. um, that I had to go through instead of like working the day job and then working the thing. Like my shit mm-hmm. was like that. Like I, I eat a different pile of shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. We all got to eat some. Yeah. But I just chose this pile. I, I also don't have any qualified skills or training. I just figure things out. So my resume didn't look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's tough. And like that was that was something that I'm really fortunate for is like I got into sales young. So it's like, mm. you know, whenever this year, like we suddenly had to move back because of COVID and I was still figuring things out with my business because I didn't want to work in metal anymore. And I started closing a much higher rate in pop music 
but I wasn't closing enough to like really make sure that I'm secure and like we could go get a nice apartment. Like I'm always able to just like go back to sales for a few months. And like, I always forget that like some people don't have that luxury, you know, where you can't just walk into a, you know, $60,000 job, $60,000 a year job and then dip out whenever like you're good again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that must've mm-hmm. been like really terrifying, not being able to like, <laughs> visualize any way out it's just like well this is it you know it's either this or i go work a minimum wage job you know yeah i i think you're no you're not wrong yeah (laughs) it was definitely (laughs) a lot and that was kind of like the next step right where it's like backs against the wall um but when you have i think the two two good things is like you put it in your favor where the Long story, right? It's like to get through any the lean part of a business, it's low low overhead to allow yourself to make better business decisions. So that was my version of that. And I knew that I had enough proof of concept and I think self-assuredness, which we could even credit. I think I'd really credit my parents for that, to have the confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. Because like that was something that was grilled into myself as a child where the people I talk to are like my clients or people that I – consult with or consult for you know do something for like an equity portion of a launch like they just lack this self-assuredness to make a move where for myself i was like i know that if i sleep on this stinky floor and just like rough it for the year i'll figure this out i didn't know Mm -hmm. what it was gonna be but i was like i'll try everything i've tried the flyers i've tried the cold you know it's like you try every method in the world Mm -hmm. and something will stick and then you double keep doubling down on it you double you know I had that assurance in myself, which I think a lot of people do not have. And that prevents them from like taking the risk or hitting publish even on one Instagram post. Yeah. And it's like, well then I it's, and that's such a deep seated thing. But for myself, I I knew that I was a crafty enough kid to (laughs) scrap this together. If I, if I gave myself the time Mm -hmm. to figure it out with low overhead and, uh, yeah. Well, now I could say I could at least walk into a sales job. I have enough of a, I could just say the results I've gotten and my close rates at high ticket mm-hmm. prices and then be like, hey, this is what I've done. Yeah. yeah I could sh- like, show you my really? sales calls sheet. Uh, but it's that good. I don't really have a training in it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, but it's one of those things where it took a long time to build it up. But uh, we pushed through it. And we made it. Yeah. So, so yeah. Let's uh, look at like genre wise. What were you doing during this? Because I know um, you have connections. Obviously, you have connections with the Nail the Mix and URM crew and stuff like that from the metal side of things. Were you doing a lot of hip hop? Were you doing a lot of pop music? Were you doing a lot of metal? metal? Was it like whatever would pay you and come in the door? Or did you have like a specific thing that you kind of like lean towards? I think I was actually pretty much, you know, anything goes at the time. I'm not gonna lie, I kind of crushed it on Craigslist in like Facebook groups for having no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I didn't do the best work, but you know, yeah, I did my best at the time and it was mad cheap. So who could really complain? It wasn't really actually, so I didn't think about this until I thought about what Brian told me uh, until um, the profitable producer course. I mm-hmm. purchased that a few months into being in the studio life, like living on the floor. Mm-hmm. And that was after the summit because I went to the first summit. Right around when I moved in, I think I moved in and then like three days later, I went to the summit. Brian Hood did his presentation, dropped mm-hmm. the course at the summit. I bought it on my laptop sitting in bed and then 
like went through it during that time. And I think from that experience, I'd started to get my business acumen down mm-hmm. to understand like, you know, not, not like go right to niching down, but understanding how to convey, you know, your positioning in the market and how to like talk to people and the base baseline sales stuff. Yeah. And he always told me, he's like, it's so weird to remember that you were always that guy who was like laying on the floor on the, on the group calls. <laughs> <laughs> and like, he didn't know that I was living there, but he's like, yeah, you'd always be like in bed or something. And you know, I thought this is, that was kind of weird, but like he was doing good. So uh, like that was that's great. And I was like, yeah, I was just living on the floor of the studio. That was my, you know, or I'd be like I'd just see the ceiling of like the gym, <laughs> and you'd have your video on for some reason. Um, but <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, we had, we had a good time. Yeah. But um, through that, by the end of that, I was fairly niched into pop, doing like really dirt cheap rates. Yeah. But I had found that because I didn't have the facilities for rock or metal, like to record, and I don't like amps. I don't know. I don't care. I just don't <laughs> care about anything about amps. Yeah, same. Uh, 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 just not me. So <laughs> guitars are a bunch of noise, man. Guitars are a bunch of noise sometimes. <laughs> all the guitars do is just take up all that mid range I need. So why don't right. we? Just- <laughs> That's what I, I'm literally buying different monitors like right now because I bought my speakers because they were perfect for metal and they were more mid forward. And now that I do pop music, I'm like, I have no low end or top end, and I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> So you take yeah. out guitars, you don't, you know, you could have <clears throat> monitors that don't sound bad. <laughs> Anything from about 300 to like one and a half K is pretty much a no go. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's just all guitars. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, um, cause yeah, you, you made that cause you were playing metal and drums and then you kind of made that shift to pop. I think this was a question I, I talked with Josh about a little bit about, but how was, networking and connections wise in a in a very saturated obviously la is very saturated uh la baby um but like how is coming from a dude with kind of no connections you know like no that's fair yeah yeah yeah. i I take no offense i had no no no. (laughs) well like in the beginning you didn't really have any you were there because you were going to be in that band so like you had you really never moved there with the idea of oh i know these people that are all in music and like ready to go and then you quit and you were like okay uh cool so like what was the process for you shifting into especially the shift into pop music mainly is kind of where we should probably focus but uh with the networking and connections with people Mm -hmm. i I don't remember who said this but probably some very rich white man who (laughs) owns a lot of real estate yeah um it's, it's like something along the lines of you know Like when you're starting out, you have to do things that don't scale in order to scale the business up, which sounds weird. But that was kind of when you're saying this to me, like that was kind of what resonated with me is Mm -hmm. when you don't have the demand, you need not you need to what what I did, because I don't want to be a I don't want to be a rule number five. What's holding you back here? What I did and what I found (laughs) very effective. Yeah, I'd be careful with my words because I don't want it to be. No, that's fair. Finger wagging at people like you don't have to. Plenty of people haven't done what I've done and have Mm -hmm. and are way cooler than I am and done way more. So they're like, yeah, you're generally stupid. So that's great. But for myself, what was huge is to understand that, like, all right, if the demand is low, 
and I can supply more to people, right? The whole over delivery, delivering thing. If I have more time than I do demand for my time, all that time should be put into just making friends and meeting people, like which is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. So if I only have 10 hours of paid work and I don't do anything else with my life, I should have 50 to 60 hours available to just have chat with people, make content, do this, do that, and over deliver on things. So for example, any lead that came in, I would probably chat with for like an hour on the phone, regardless mm-hmm. of size. It's just like masters, you know, like any demand or even any interest. I, I would just take, just be like, yo, you want to like chat? And I'll just get to know, you know, just, let me just get to know you, mm-hmm. you know, as a human. Now, I can't really do that, but <laughs> you know, but that's because the demand's there. Yeah. But when I didn't have it, it's like, okay, if I have three more hours today, like th- that's how I was able to go live a lot more often, a lot more frequent, frequently mm-hmm. is I didn't have as many projects, but if I could go live and do it in a way where I could meet new people and build a relationship that way, mm-hmm. like I should be putting my time there. If I don't have a paid project, everything else is to facilitate that growth. So I would, <laughs> so I, I have a few like business clients and one of the things I've talked to them about is like delivering and embarrassing value compared to what other people do in like communities. So, you know, that's kind of, I guess what I call it. So I would just be, I'm like in the gym between sets, typing out like 10 minute articulate responses to people's posts on a Facebook group, you know, and people are like, oh yeah, the vocal's kind of hot. You know, it's like, that's stupid. Like that's what chumps do. So, and, and, and I tell them, it's like you, like, I want to go so deep in it that every other general response, they look like a chump. Like that's kind of, really what i mean when it's like mm-hmm. over delivering like there's a oh yeah vocals too hot uh yeah kind of bad you know it's like no hey so i took a listen and i think the performance was actually really strong i don't think your performance is the issue from what i'm hearing it sounds like it's over compressed and you'd probably need to one look at what's hit if it's hitting the a fixed threshold too high or if your threshold is just too low and we're getting too much gain reduction out of one of the compressors. As a rule of thumb, you might want to be between 6 to 10 dB of gain reduction at the highest peaks per compressor. Not a hard rule, but this is what you, you know, maybe a guideline to yeah. stop you from getting the squish sound. On top of that, I also took a listen to how the high end's interacting with the cymbals and it sounded like they were really poking and sitting on top of each other. I'm not sure what the fix is, but just something I noticed. Like, and that's the level of detail I go to to maybe respond to somebody in a group. Mm-hmm. And then everyone looks like a chump. Like, sorry, I don't know. Like, <laughs> they do. Uh, because it's like, oh, wow, this guy. You're providing extra value going above and beyond and answering the question in a way that isn't, uh, oh, symbols are bright. Oh, vocals are loud. Oh, this vocal sound weird. Like, vague, like, abstract terms. You're, like, giving them legitimate information with what they asked as well. Exactly. Like, yeah. And like far beyond what I could mm-hmm. ever do. I do it when I can. Like if I'm yeah. pooping, like I'm still literally on my phone, like pooping, like going, like hitting things up or hitting questions or doing what I can mm-hmm. as much as I humanly possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're at that stage with the lower demand, to me, it's it's just going way above and beyond because you do stand out. And then I have people add me and hit me up off of a comment I left, not even on their post, but they're like, that guy's dope. I need to keep up with him. Or, mm-hmm. oh, he like he knows what he's talking about. Like I should just be involved with this person. And then the mm-hmm. content becomes the way that we maintain that relationship over time. So if I didn't have a paid project, I'm either over like embarrassing, embarrassingly deep value upfront, or I'm creating content to maintain a relationship yeah. as people see that my role in a community and 
just like really start to take me seriously because I, mean, I over deliver in ways that other people aren't. That's how we're just we lazy met, about it. That's how we met. Yeah. Was, right. Was literally I go, hey, dude, how's it going? And we just started talking. I was like, oh, I'm just like, I'm just trying to connect with some new people, like not in the South. That's, I think that's how what I approached you as is like, and Bowman told me that you were sick and like, uh, like over in LA. And I was like, I just wanted to chat. So we started talking. Yeah. And then we did like ha- basically a, a half a record, an EP's worth of songs together. Um, mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it was tight. <laughs> And now we're home. And, and and that com- and that's what that that's what it comes down to. Like yeah. another way that I'll tell it to people is if you think about like an airplane hangar of people, like like in every person who fucks with you mm-hmm. is in that room. The more people that you put in that can say are in that space and you fill up that hangar with people, the more likely you are to have opportunities. So that's why that's why I put it out there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like I'm expecting it back, but I know that if I over deliver for 300 people mm-hmm. when i have the time to over deliver for 300 people that three to ten of them will be interested in a really deep way in working with me mm-hmm. that's just the law of rest we could go into the psychology of reciprocity and all yeah. this stuff but like that's just the foundation of how it's worked for my entire business i mean and, is- and josh could probably equal like that there's some very big parallels in a in a non-musical sales situation with those uh, some of those um, processes as far as like being very constantly connected with people. and Yeah, it, it's a bit different for like the stuff that I did because it was the automotive industry. So it's like, you know, people are shopping all around, super competitive market, you know, so sometimes like that thing wouldn't happen. But literally, I've had people buy a car from another dealer and then send me a $100 gift card to go out to eat because like I took the time to help them out which are like at the time was more than what my commission check would have been. Cause I wasn't selling like out on the floor, you know? So like, it, it's interesting seeing how, like just taking the time to like give people the information that they're looking for and like not being a jerk about it. Like that goes such a long way because for some reason, a lot of people have a hard time just answering questions thoroughly, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like that was that always blew my mind whenever I would have stuff like that happen. Um, just because I was like, I, I was just doing like what I thought I was supposed to do. Like I didn't do anything extra, you know, mm-hmm. like I just answered your questions, you know. But then again, the same thing just happened. Like I just did the same thing to a salesman because I was shopping for new monitors and I emailed my Sweetwater rep. And then I also hit up Vintage King. Um and my Sweetwater rep sent me back one sentence and the guy at Vintage King sent me back two paragraphs and asked me to give him a call. So I gave him a call and he talked to me for 45 minutes. And I went from like trying to figure out how I could demo out three pairs of speakers in Pittsburgh to knowing exactly what pair I'm going to get. You know, and yeah. it's like if you just and- take the time, like it goes a long way. Like there's a good chance that they might have just lost a customer for life because they didn't take the time to type for another five minutes or something like that and like i'm not a karen i'm not demanding like (laughs) crazy amounts of attention because i don't need it it's just the fact that like when someone goes above and beyond like people notice oh uh, it's wild it's absolutely wild like when you provide a high level of service i think especially for myself like i noticed the way that so much happens now i've been told i have clients who have repeatedly hired me over and over and i was told 
the reason that they picked me, even though they said my technical work at the time, this is just a few years ago, they're like, they weren't even as that impressed with my my technical work. Mm-hmm. But they're like, yeah, like we chatted on the phone. Like everybody else just sent us an email with a number back. But like I got to hear your voice and I just felt like a good energy from you. And that was ultimately why we went with you. Because we knew that you were probably earlier, like like not as advanced technically, but you would take the time and like figure it out with us. And right. I mean, that, how that's... many people have hired A-list people and then they get back a product that they don't want? Like I hear about that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just because it's not all always about, you know, technical ability. It's about like whether or not that person understands you on a deeper level. Well, it's like if you go like foundational sales principles, maybe not in the automotive industry, but a lot of stuff, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to buy with, they buy with emotion and justify with logic. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's, there's a lot that goes into the psychology of the sale that has nothing to do with the service. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard for nerds to realize. <laughs> Dude, it's uh, really to, hard for people to roast our to people, <laughs> to roast our own, to roast ourselves. Uh, so, um, I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. Yeah. So you're full time at this point. Cool. How did wow, you... thanks, bro. <laughs> this just goes cool. Why How did you did look you... at him like that? No, 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 no. <laughs> yes. I love you, Sean. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 uh, how did you? How did you shift into this content game? Because now, because now you're doing the podcast, the YouTube channel. You're doing really solid on TikTok. I saw they sent you like a skateboard. Oh yeah, or a skate deck <laughs> or something like that. I was like, oh, yeah. that's tight. So I like, put that up still. Yeah. So like, the, like what? What made you decide? I'm going to make this leap into this. I'm ar- I'm full time and I'm going to make this leap into like really doubling down on the content game. The for me mm-hmm. the content it started super innocent. Like it was actually interesting. The the way I even though I get compared to Gary Vee a bit, <laughs> the you know, love him or hate him, I, I didn't know about him until a buddy of mine told me when we were lifting once it's like you ever heard of this guy gary v because like a lot of this stuff like the way you do your stuff kind of reminds me of him and i hadn't at the time but i was like oh i guess maybe i should know about him and (laughs) i went through his stuff and just everything he said it like it hit at the right time and the right kind of message where where of course i think i don't really respect him as a father I don't really respect anybody who says have children, but I'm going to work 14 hour days, five days a week and yeah. pretend I don't have a family. But mm-hmm. I can still take the piece of advice that I actually think resonate with me. Like I think any person who who doles out information should, you know, I think we should always take that with a grain of salt that there's mm-hmm. a context of like, well, yeah, Gary is k- kind of a psychopath in a cool way. <laughs> Yeah. You know, he's an anomaly and, and, but people are like, oh yeah, if that guy, like he's, you know, he worked 14 hours. It's like, no, he, he literally says that all the time. Like do it, you know, whatever. But so I took, I took what I took from that is to say like how he talks about building brand and building relationships and using content as a way to uh, build relationships at scale and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And I ran with it really bad at first. I did really bad for years, like super scattered cloud chasing. Who's not chasing cloud, but like in a really bad way, Mm -hmm. you know, where I was doing things that weren't related, but I had connections in a certain niche. So I was catering my content to where I thought I could involve the most clout uh, guests Mm -hmm. and then leverage that to get more views. 
and somehow parlay that. That obviously didn't work. But really when I joined, um, going through Six Figure Home Studio course, that was kind of the start. And then really dialing it in with Dan Grimmett at Dark Label. Like he kind of took a fat poo-poo on me uh, <laughs> with love and was like, dude, you know, come on. Like, like stop. <laughs> We're getting clients here, not clout. You know, which one do you want? Do you want to do affiliates for Amazon and try to scrape a living together that way? Or do you want to make one video where it gets 50 views, but it could get you four clients? Like, which one do you want right now? And I was like, ah, okay, fine. <laughs> so, Dude, the way that he knows how to poop on people is just oh so good. It's, it's very so straightforward. Good. Like, you need a good pooping sometimes from, yeah, the, from somebody. Like I, like, I wasn't even in the program for that long, and he really, like, kind of set me straight and, like, already it's a huge improvement from where I was. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing what it can do. I mean, and that gets into the whole, like having somebody who's been there before mm-hmm. and paying for the fast track thing, which we could get down. Cause I, I'm also, yeah. I'm in another program, like at this point too, mm-hmm. that was a $10,000 investment, which, which was frightening for me, but yeah, it's, it's well more than paid itself back. Yeah. And the but but so to go to the content part mm-hmm. the i think for myself it was to see that like my shitty attempts had actually done well mm-hmm. well quote well uh, i had gotten enough notoriety to to feel like oh this kind of makes sense and then when dan smacked me around a bit i was like oh yeah why isn't this all catered to the client instead of just i want to make a video essay on finn mckenty's youtube growth you know it, mm-hmm. it should it should have a focused intent like, what's the reason for it? And he really got me in the approach of knowing that the content is just a means to form the connection, mm-hmm. not to be a guy who just makes content and hopes that YouTube, like, keeps my money coming in. So he had sold me on the method, really sold me on the process of what that meant and then helped me actually execute it in a more refined way. But to me, when I – after the first couple of times when you have people just fill out a thing – fill out your form and contact you and you've never talked to them mm-hmm. like that's when it really glues in and you're like wow i've never talked to this person i look back and it's like they've hired me for four songs and they're gonna hire me for seven more already this year and i never spoke to them before they reached out to me never that's spoke wild. to them the uh what was the so what was i would what would you say your biggest shift from the initial content strategy to post pooping daniel content strategy uh outside of like <laughs> outside of uh would you say that like focusing it more towards the the individual that you're the, the client the ideal client i guess like using business terminology would that would you say that that is your biggest focus shift like instead of like you said making content for everybody now you're trying to make content for a specific kind of ideal client right what would you say your ideal client is also? Well, oh, okay. So there's two parts. There's here. two parts. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hold up a second. Uh, the wait. Oh, no. What was the first part? What was My the memories? What was the biggest shift? The sh- yeah, 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 yeah. All right. That you personally um, had to make. And then who is your ideal client? Yeah. Okay. There we go. So, yeah, the biggest shift was actually very much a Gary Vee thing, but I ignored it. And I even ignored it when Finn told me the first time at, at the summit, mm-hmm. which I, I, look back on and I'm like, well, oh, well, you know, I, I was stupid, but it's fine. Yeah. You know, d- don't take the advice from the guy who's way um, smarter than me. Bro, who's a marketing genius. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's a wizard. But I, I think at the time my content was overall very selfish. I was making what I wanted to make and centering 
it around that, which is fine. But if the intent is to make income <laughs> and to, you know, have it be the top of funnel, the awareness, the brand building for a business, mm-hmm. uh, it shouldn't matter what I want to make. That's unimportant. I mean, there should be a marriage of it. I'm not mm-hmm. going to make myself miserable, but like I don't enj- – you know, th- there's a lack of selfishness that comes along with good content marketing. Mm-hmm. Do I want to talk about uh, – I don't know what I talk about. Um, I segment my time so much I try to not think about it when yeah. I'm not – you know, it's like, wait, what am I even talking about? Do I like – so when my YouTube channel comes back in March, I'm doing like really high production – versions of of song breakdowns and what's about like juice world and like do i want to do a really is my first idea of my time to make a 15 minute documentary about the making of this juice world track in really high visual high effort style not necessarily but i, I do enjoy the process quite a bit mm-hmm. and i know that that will pr- bring me a handful of the result i want from the content so it's like i don't really care that it's not my favorite that's my favorite thing to do is to write the script right now. Mm -hmm. You know, but I don't care because it's getting me the results I want. And I know that the time in pays off for years and years. Yeah. So that was the biggest shift being selfless about it. And then to kind of, to answer your other question, my ideal client is probably the solo pop act that is at least one to two releases in they've gone through the process. I wouldn't say go for people who are completely green mm-hmm. because that comes with its own set of like psychological problems to me. You know, when nobody's hit the publish button, they become a lot harder to work with to, to get them over those emotional humps. And they've either done it themselves or they've worked with producers in the past. And there's probably some pain around that from their past experiences. Probably half of my leads, half of my clients have had really negative experiences with producers have for a variety of reasons, or they've tried to do it on their own. And, and they've gotten to a point where they're, they're incredibly frustrated by the process. Mm-hmm. So they're looking f- to just finally push things forward and not be stuck in the creative like cycle. So I actually started tailoring my offer to be part done for you service and part mentorship. So we actually fuse them together. So when we're done, we, we sit down and actually talk about the production process and how things were created in their track together. And I found that sweet spot of the people who were like, yeah, I want to do this eventually, but I know it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd want to work with somebody who's also open with their process and isn't going to smoke and mirrors me when I ask, well, oh, what's going on with that chorus lift I heard in the vocal? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people right in that middle ground of DIY versus getting things done ha- has really been the sweet spot for me. And people who like drums. And people who like drums. I was going to say, yeah, uh, I think Josh had a question about vocals for you. Oh, yeah. And then I somehow got really into vocal production. I don't even know how that happened. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it just happened actually. You said that because like the same thing happened to me. I think like coming from metal, like I was never super into vocal production just because like it was just a scrim track and the guy was shouting the whole time. And then I got into pop music and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, I could do things with vocals. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's just not is that one like vocal, the same thing that uh, happened to fry you? scream tone down the middle the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> With stacks on the side occasionally. Yeah. Is that kind of the same thing that happened to you? Like you got into pop music and you were like, whoa, so I could have like 30 stacks of voc- vocals and it sounds good? Yeah, I, I went through a similar thing because it, it, it definitely tickled my music theory nerd brain 
going through all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things. I think I feel like not to hate on my keyboard fam, but <laughs> if you can sell, if you can sell the drums, the vocals and the low end, like you could kind of almost mute everything in the track. and It would still sound like a song. Dude, that's, exactly. ev- that's every modern hip hop production. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, <laughs> is there a guitar there? I don't really care, but there's something yeah. twinkling. That's cool. Yeah. Whatever. And then, yeah. oh man, I love this performance and these, yeah. this beat. That's it. Like, that's like my biggest gripe with a lot of like newer producers and like also growing up as a drummer. Like, I love the freedom to program whatever I want. Like, it doesn't matter how fast somebody's hands or feet move, you know? So, like, I can program out super complex drum parts that all kind of like fit in their own space but because you're using so many different sounds it sounds normal and like that was something that was so freeing moving over to pop music and i feel like a lot of people kind of forget about how important percussion is because they look at it it's just like oh yeah i need a kick and a snare and a hi-hat but it's like for guys like us who were like limited to a drum kit for so long it's like that moment where you're like, oh, I could do a lot here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a blast. Yeah. It's like, a, it's just a very different mindset approach to mm-hmm. creation that it's a really, it's just a really big learning curve. But when you can dial that in and like understand the dynamics of like vocal, like pop vocal production or how you want to do pop vocal production, you know, like you're telling whole ass stories just in the vocal layers. You know, that's really how mm-hmm. a lot of subgenres of pop are. And yeah, I just, I love it. Like it's such a great puzzle and there's so many possibilities. And to me, it's been the most limitless genre with the least elitism, mm-hmm. especially coming from metal. God. Oh, right. uh, yeah. Isn't it great? Like being that's able to the like show thing. the artist something you think is cool that they might not have asked for it and they'll actually listen to it before they <laughs> shut yeah. it down. Exactly. Like, it's crazy. The uh, yeah, we, we talked with uh, we talked with Jason, and he came from uh, my buddy Jason from uh, Death Therapy, and he came from that whole like metal elitism background, and now he's even shifting into like industrial like alt rock because he's just tired of like the normalcy of I chug and I scram, mm-hmm. and that's that's the yeah. I can't say who, but I know some high level guys in the metal world that are doing the same transition now. Really? Like they're tired of being high level characters in the current metal scene. And even at a high level, they're trying to get out because they're tired of it. There's a few of them. And and, and yeah, it's the same thing. It's like people aren't interested. Mm -hmm. They just want similar, you know, similar to what I imagined was like being Joey Sergis in 2011, where. It's like, nope, just give me, just give me the attack attack. Just, just dial it in. Right. (laughs) You know, they aren't interested in any kind of innovation. Yeah. At all. So it it pushes the genre into the ground, sadly, but yeah. Yeah. It's been super freeing to be in a world where you can get away with a lot uh, of things. Get away with, you know. So, So as a guy that is, I would describe you as an artist first producer, um, an artist focused producer, what is a good, what's something that you see from like newer people? I mean, you don't have to slam anybody, but from newer people that you either work with or that you just see like on the interwebs, uh, big mistakes that people make in, uh, 
their yeah yeah go for it it could be anything branding content strategy it could be like music specific it's up to you like what are some big what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see of newer artists i almost feel like i gotta write some of these out i'm gonna just take a couple of quick notes so i don't miss some things yeah you're because good. this is super fun yeah, um <laughs> because yeah because because there's so many things that come to um that come to mind for me and i and i need to fill the gap at the same time as i think so to minimize your <laughs> editing requirements for the episode so yeah, at fine. the same time as I'm saying these words, the other part of my brain <laughs> is like, trying to operate Ugh. at a high level to think of the third <laughs> thing because I know that three points would be the most round way to tell the story because of the power of three. But we also so don't care. I have two, and hopefully by the time we get to the third one, I All will right. have found it you in will. my heart. <laughs> I'm I'm confident in my ability to yeah. essentially make my way through. Like I actually do all my podcasts in one take. Like I, I don't even – I do know, I just do no edits. I talk for like 20 minutes and I have a few bullet points and I can navigate my way through it at that. None, like that, none so. of ours are edited unless it's like my computer died or something. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody needs to get a snack. Exactly. We even stopped using so, like. I think, go go ahead, Josh. Oh, Sorry. I was just going to say, we even stopped using like points for our podcast. Like mm-hmm. everything is so much better whenever it's just like off the top. Yeah. Whenever natural, we're just flowing you know? and like we're just, just having a casual conversation. And I think people like it more too. Mm-hmm. Stuff yeah, it but, depends on the format too. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, right. just call, exactly. it has the word hangout in it too. Mm-hmm. So it's it implies a casual nature that you know, ten things your yeah. music needs that you would yeah. never Yeah. <laughs> your music is missing these ten key things. There it is. That that's yeah, you go negative. You go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You spark yep. the emotion to get the click. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. how so, you picked up on that too, by the way. The hangout casual thing, because that was my thought process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the brand consistency. <clears throat> okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah. To to, to dive into this. Yeah. Probably like the Oh, oh, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. We got it. 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 We got, it. We got, it. We got all three now. Okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put them now in an order that makes chronological sense okay, because cool. I think it build. They all build on each other. Okay, cool. And that's you know that's really helpful here because I think mm-hmm. we start. We just can we can kind of zoom out through these three points here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, all right. So the first thing I'd say, it's so fun. I love that I actually just took notes right now. It's so John. <laughs> But the number one thing that I see, so I, in the shadows, I actually have a, I don't want this to become a plug, but I have a mentorship program Mm -hmm. for people who want me to personally mentor them and work with them like in the long term with their creative journey and where they want to take things. So something, this is stuff I see from my clients, like on our one-on-ones, on our group calls, all that stuff. The, The first thing is probably the just baseline prioritization of their time. So, so and what I mean by that is when they say like, I have you know, probably have, a, they might have a day job, I have a part-time job, they have whatever their situation is. I have 15 hours a week to work on whatever, you know, to move the needle for myself. And the way that they're working, what they're choosing to put in those 15 hours is usually pretty bad so off, off the top. And, and it's a lot of, like, I think if everybody could listen to the ease for elimination chapter of the four hour work week, they would have a lot more time. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the first thing I send them. Because when, when he talks to like, all right, you just had triple bypass surgery. You have two hours a day to to move your thing forward. Like, what are you going to do in those two hours? Like, take 10 minutes, write down what do you do when you have only 14 hours a week. And then it's like, all right, so you got that down. Now you have two hours a week, not two hours a day to move the needle. What are the two, what are, what are you going to do in those two hours? And if you work one minute over, you will die. Like, 
you cannot work because you are recovering from triple bypass surgery. So if you go over this recommendation from the doctor, you'll have another cardiac event and you will die. So what are you going to do with two hours a week of your time? And like creatives innately cannot conceptualize efficiency and productivity. I don't know why. (laughs) And it's so frustrating because they're like, okay, John, so I know this weekend I was supposed to work on this, but then I saw another thing and I thought, what if instead of doing what you said, which is what I'm here for, I go and I do something unrelated. And then I'm like, what'd you do? And then I blah, blah, blah. Like, and that, so what did that get you? No, like nothing. And it's like, all right, cool. Well, maybe we shouldn't do that next time. Yeah. And um, I would love for you to stay st- like focused on this because I literally sit down and I give them a mission of the week. Like I try to help them get into the habit of, of prioritizing. Don't come on to the group call on Sunday unless you've done this because mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you to do this. And there, there's just innate, I guess like fear or they feel like there's this level of busyness mm-hmm. that they have to do everything. They have to be making the TikToks and doing this and doing that. And they do all these things with that don't bring any result. You know, for example, or like, like I do the podcast. The podcast is probably my lowest yield mm-hmm. ROI for my time. It's more of a long-term brand yeah. play than anything else. But I recognize that. And I ha- and so once a month, like Kyle just takes something from a group call <laughs> and turns it into a podcast. You know, mm-hmm. we find out ways to make that more efficient to, to take it off my circle of focus. But other people would just be like, I got to do this podcast because like, like I have to do it. And it's like, well, you haven't released a song in two years, but I got it. You know, and, and then they're putting all this time in. But it's like you haven't put anything out. Who's finding this podcast? How are they fi- like this inability there? So that's a, that's a big thing for me that I see all the time. Mm-hmm. Um the second thing is really about romanticizing the process. I think there's an over romanticization of this journey where Let and I had just that on nod a, my I had head that, extravagantly right now. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> and it's so frustrating. No, it's, it's not fr- I mean, I don't care. They can live their lives. Yeah. When they experience enough pain and turmoil, then they come back around and they're like ready to go. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it works out in that way. But I had a call with somebody who was considering coming into this program. And, you know, I'll ask them like, where, you know, kind of give me your ideal like vision of, of where you, you want this to go. Like just walk me through it, like walking through a day, day in the life. Mm-hmm. And then they walk me through this like lofty, just like, like Ariana Grande level of like day in the life. You know, I just wake up and then I'm like on the phone with somebody talking about like a crazy live show we're going to put together. And then I walk into the studio when we make a song and then I have some coffee. And it was like, there's like no actually logistics of running anything and actually doing like business at all. It was just this, I walk from the studio to, to the set where we uh, choreo- do some choreography. And then at 4 p.m., I play some video games and I chill with my baby. And it's like, okay, this is actually delusion right here. You know, you, all like what we see, even like the people at the Meg Thee Stallion, Ariana Grande, whatever high level, there is so much that goes on beyond what you're seeing on their Instagram st- story yeah, of them cutting exactly. track or practicing their dancing and all the stuff that goes in and and it's just so romanticized and it's like you have to be okay oh oh this is what it was this guy was like oh yeah i hate i i hate working at this cell phone store so i just want to be my own boss and i hate answering to somebody like that and i was like this is the wrong business for you yeah dude don't do this oh my gosh yeah it is i will tell you (laughs) like dude retail is a lot easier than working in music (laughs) 
like it's hands so much down. easier. I have dude. never had like an unskilled job. Like, sure, you have difficult like boomer customers who yell at you and they have stupid haircuts, but like, <laughs> it is so much easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And man. and people and and I think that's oh. probably the core of the romanticization mm-hmm. is that. They don't answer to anybody. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You Whoever writes the check people. is who you answer to. Yeah. Like you have way more bosses now. You yeah. Have so many yeah. bosses. <laughs> who, who, like, and sometimes like when a conflict comes up in a project, people, I straight up ask them like, so who pay, like, who's actually paying for this right now? Because I need to understand the power, like the dynamics of mm-hmm. who uh, my final word is to, you know, and, and that's, and that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Whoever cut the check. Or whoever owns equity in the business that cut this check right now is who I answer to. Mm-hmm. Or whoever the CEO told me is the person I answer to and that I'm corresponding with. That's who I answer to. That's my boss for, for XYZ time, for XYZ service, for XYZ deliverables, mm-hmm. for XYZ experience. And yeah, like it's not that one guy who you hate, but it's very different when you're sitting up at 11, like 11 p.m. just like anxious and you can't sleep because – this guy sent you, yeah, the eleventh request for a three hundred dollar project, and you are so frustrated that they're involved in your life and it's keeping you up, or like you can't enjoy your life now, and you can't clock out from it. Or they see they sent you other DMs and you have to mute their chat because you get anxious every time your phone lights up now. Um, like this is and it's such just a romanticization of paving your own path, and I need and I had to give them a reality check, or like like I'm going to move to LA. And I was like, all right, great. Oh, let's do this right now. Take out a pen and paper. So tell me what your income is right now. You know, we yeah. literally walked through their entire financial situation, their debt, their payments, their bills, healthcare, did the math. And I was like, all right, so so you're going to move to LA. You can use all your savings to do that. And you're barely going to make enough money to survive. So you're going to be month to month, probably working 50 hours a week. So where are you going to find the time to build your own thing again? You know? Yeah, that that's oh. I think that's uh, something else I wanted to talk to you about. Like we can come back to the third thing. Uh and we can even maybe put a pin in this, but I want to I want to yeah, have we, the we could we could pin it. We could, I'm down to Yeah, yeah, we could pin the, uh we could pin that conversation real quick and have the conversation of is it beneficial for half of these people that want to move to LA to move to LA? Really? Is it really beneficial as a person? that moved to there and that lives there currently. Yeah. So, wait, Josh, where do you live? I don't know. I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania right now. Oh, Derp, you said Pittsburgh earlier. Okay. Yeah. So, oops. I just know you live on Facebook, so that's all I know. Yeah, I'm we're, on both, Facebook, we're both bro. East Coast boys. Yeah, Easter Roonies. So, <laughs> for myself, yeah, for myself, um, Oh, yeah, te- I'll text that guy in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I think there's two answers. Mm-hmm. One is be not when we're not in COVID, being in proximity can be super advantageous. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I want to hire somebody to help me create more content, but they must live locally and be able to sit on this couch behind me three days a week. Mm-hmm. So by somebody being in Los Angeles, they will have what I consider a decent opportunity and it won't be to wipe my butt and clean my fridge mm-hmm. as the intern as an internship. Uh, I've had a 24-hour opportunity to engineer for a Grammy-winning producer because I was here 
and I know Pro Tools, and he's 70, and he doesn't want to run the thing. <laughs> yeah. He wants to talk with the artist and do the producer thing. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to work with and still do work with Warren Hewitt from Produce Like a Pro because he's 22 minutes away. And I got that opportunity because I'm here in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and I was there this week because I'm in Los Angeles. None of that would happen if I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have. So, so there's so many things that opened up by just me being present, but it comes along with like all the social stuff too, because I, th and that has to be present. Whereas you can be in Pittsburgh and do everything you need to do. But it, to me, it requires a lot more self-control because it's all i mean i don't know the pittsburgh scene so but oh, it, it's to me it's all don't digital. worry it's it's the worst it could possibly be okay great so <laughs> so so to me not to me but it's all digital and that comes with its own challenges of self uh self sustaining and like Mm -hmm. restraint and reliance to yeah. be able to execute on your own from your laptop to create demand purely through the internet and most people it's can't really do that most people don't have the self-discipline to like spend four hours on facebook not screwing around mm -hmm. yeah so when you're in an infrastructure or you go out and meet people you know like go to the open mics and just like do free work with all the artists that you like their voice and just meet people that way, that works better for some people. Mm -hmm. And when you do it in a city like Los Angeles, I put myself in a position where I was able to capture these high-level opportunities or be there for an audition. Mm -hmm. I got to audition. I didn't get it. <clears throat> but I auditioned for a band that just got signed to Warner Brothers. And I, I got to – it was for a hired, as a hired gun yeah. drummer, but for a band who just got a bunch of money thrown at them. you know. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity without that. And watching just the shadows of like all these suits sitting in the back of the room. Yeah. You know, but like those things don't come up mm -hmm. when I'm not here. Um, and there's more countless examples of that that I, I could pull, but those are some of the For first sure. ones that come to mind or yeah. like everybody tours through well, here. I so mean, now that I, I have homies, I feel all... that, um, I mean, I feel that up here, you know, my, my main goal is to, you know, write. I just want to be a writer at the end of the day. I love producing, mm -hmm. but like, that's the dream, you know, like dream scenario, write songs. And, um, it's like, you can't really do that. In exactly. Pittsburgh, you know, like our goal is to eventually get to Nashville um because mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the publishing companies are right now even for pop music but it's like you know if you're not present it's not going to work out and sure you could fly in and stuff like that but you're never going to get to that point without spending a significant amount of time there first and like building mm -hmm. those relationships because you're not going to be worth flying in you know <laughs> like yep <laughs> Because you know, so yeah, I wanted to have this conversation because there's on the internet right now there is a large contingency of people that are like, I don't need to move anywhere, I don't need to go to LA, I don't need to go to Nashville, like those kind of people. Well, here's and the deal. I I think that there is obviously COVID removed. There is definitely a need for that, but I will caveat and say it is also not a hundred percent needed it's not like it used to be it's right. not like you don't need to be in la to run a business because that's essentially all we're doing mm -hmm. but like yeah you know if you want to like you know get a publishing deal with like warner you know or a production deal like sure you more than likely need to be in los angeles at some point you know for you know some length of time mm -hmm. and uh 
you could do the Seth and like move there, do a bunch of work, get where you want to be, and then just dip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think ultimately both are great solutions. Mm-hmm. It comes down to like your own self awareness and knowing and being realistic, which is the hard part of mm-hmm. knowing that you can, you'll be able to execute either way like do you trust yourself when you say i'm gonna put four hours into content every day and and talking to people and starting 30 conversations like do you actually do that like do Mm -hmm. you because if you do great then don't move delay yeah don't don't move to a music city that's stupid you don't need to but not only are you starting those conversations are you you turning that into actual like even free projects and Mm -hmm. and moving your stuff forward every single day by with your self-discipline because muscle like muscle tough that's great oh my Mm -hmm. gosh i actually have a miracle that happened in Pittsburgh. I have found two artists that I really want to work with. And so the one I'm working with for like, he, he's like very new to this and he's dumping all of his money into it. So like I'm helping him out with a bunch of stuff. And then there's another dude who like just got signed and it's very under the table and like, we're supposed to be working soon. And it's Sick. like, that is crazy that there are actually two artists who are yeah, really you also don't know like who's coming from where. Like, uh, that's the other wild part is like all a bunch of people aren't necessarily always in the major cities doing the big work, right? Like mm-hmm. the dude that produced um, uh, "Shug" by the Baby and produced uh, "What's Poppin'" uh, by Jack Harlow. Um, Dude, he's from Columbia, South Carolina. He's from like an hour away from me. He's just some dude. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just the way, because like, he's from, the baby's from Charlotte. He just had connections. Like, it, you can be the, just being a cool person and making those connections however you need to make them can lead you to a cool direction without you having to be in a major music city yeah caveat it does move a little quicker when you are in that major music city so yeah it it, it can or it has the potential to be a little it has the potential to yeah yes i think ultimately like if i wasn't in la i would i think comes down to the person Mm -hmm. i think i needed it at the time i needed to be around the other people and that's what i needed at this point i mean you know, Michelle and I straight up, like, we're, we're probably planning to, like, a plan we have in mind is to just, like, move Airbnbs every three months and, like, go full remote. Heck yeah, dude. I know, With, I know that's why I'm training on the VSX, like, yeah. all this stuff to pretty much scrap my entire, you know, world. So we'll probably do that by the end of the year. But, like, I needed the infrastructure of Los Angeles mm-hmm. to give me some accountability and, like, more tangible things that I could recognize. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell a dude who doesn't have opportunity just, like, just, like just comment on a bunch of stuff and then and then like start some conversations uh and then just like figure out how you can be helpful it's really hard to navigate that mm-hmm. yeah completely well, my plan for this year was to make a bunch of trips because like i have friends in la like mm-hmm. i wanted to go out there more than a few times this year and hang out and write and do all that and just so happened that we ran into a massive pandemic <laughs> so it's like uh that old thing you know so yeah you know haven't heard about that in weeks yeah but uh, (laughs) what pandemic yeah and uh uh you know um, it's just a really crazy dynamic right now yeah for sure um so let's unpin the conversation so number one 
you had down was prioritization of time for for art things that you see the artists suffer in. Number two was the I got it uh, here. Uh, the romanticization roman- of, of the pro- over romanticizing of the process of the job, the industry, the process, the whole nine. Yeah. Uh, and then number three, the I think yeah, the third one was just for me simply that I think people are how do I even say it? There's this toxic DIY martyr, okay, like complex that goes on. To where I see all these people just flounder and, and ruin themselves, but I'm like, oh, I gotta do it all myself, you know. Where it's like, wow, you did all this yourself, and it's all very underwhelming or, or not up to quality. That where mm-hmm. you're you're missing opportunities because your output is is so low quality, to be frank. Mm-hmm. And not not to say that like you have to. You gotta hire it. like not one yeah, not a not rule number fiving where it's like you gotta hire a producer to your career. Not at all. But to have the self-awareness to to know that you probably do need help with something. And and if you think you have it all figured out, you're probably delusional. Or because not even, I, I wouldn't even say even better, because like that was something that really dawned on me while I started doing Zoom co-writes this year, is that like not everybody is better than me but they're a heck of a lot faster. Like first time I worked with Greg, he literally made a beat in 10 minutes. That would have taken me at least 35 minutes to do like literally Mm -hmm. three times faster than me. And it was one of those moments where I was like, this is so freeing. Like I don't have the stress of making a beat that I vibe with before I like top line it. And, uh, I think that that's something that, you know, never like nobody ever really talks about. Like sometimes just like, unloading a stress it might not be better than you it might not even you know it might be a little bit faster than you but like sometimes just giving up that extra responsibility and that stress like gives you more room to be creative at what you're best at yeah that's that's it, it's like one of the it's so hard because there's so much humility that mm-hmm. that comes along with that Mm-hmm. And on top of that, too, the other side of it, too, is, well, I guess this kind of ties into it, just having I had a conversation with this with, with one of my clients today, like the power of having capital to actually invest. And I think there's, and I feel really bad for my client because they're in a really rough financial situation as of recent. And there's this shame around them going back to a job where they, or an industry where they've gotten some really high profile offers to, and would make a lot of money. And I was like, it, we had to work through that where they felt like it's taking a step back. But to me, it's like, well, w- well, how many hours a week are you full of stress and anxiety about money right now? Because like, I, I don't understand how that's helping you as well. You have all this time, but you're telling me you're crippled by your own financial pain that you aren't doing what you need to do. But when it comes to actually getting out of the financial pain and taking six months to get out of it, and, and maybe short term, right? This is then we get into impatience. Mm-hmm. The 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 short term delay to then come back and say like, "Wow, I now I'm actually free and I'm not in a bunch of debt." Yep. You know that was that's so taboo. I, like, I am so thankful that I did that exact same thing when we moved back to Pittsburgh, because like I was really stubborn. I was like, "No, like I'm finally closing projects at the rates that I want to be at. I'm getting people hitting me up constantly." You know, but like 
it still just wasn't enough for me to like quickly pay down debt and like you know be good again and so it's like i've been working a day job for all the three months now but i feel so free whenever i sit down at a computer because i'm not writing a song to get out of debt i'm writing a song because i want to write a song Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, I feel like a lot of people like really view that as like taking a step back when really it's it's all about just how much time is it saving you in the long run? How much stress is it saving you? Mm. And uh, yeah, it's never like factored into it for whatever reason, because it's all about your ego, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> once I yeah. got over that, I was like, man, this is sick. Like I have time to do all the things I love, work with projects that I actually want to work on, and then I get to get out of debt and buy cool things <laughs> you know like who line up that next that? debt yeah dude Some yeah, new line debt, up that bro. next one get those pmcs baby yeah <laughs> that that's probably one of the, i mean i guess all these are killers but like yeah. that is the silent killer mm-hmm. is the fact that to people whether it's like high if you know this like this client has some high income skills in digital advertising They'd be making a, could be making a six figure salary easy. Mm-hmm. They've gotten offers in six figures. Mm-hmm. And There's negotiations that could be had to make it a remote job that potentially. Oh, it'd be, could, it would be remote anyways. Yeah, but, but well, there was, yeah, yeah but there's like, this martyr crap of like, I must, I must do the art, and mm-hmm. yeah, like for real, like go make that money and then put it into your business. Yeah, like, dude. Oh man, I don't. I, don't <laughs> I see. Your, I see the 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 confrontation <laughs> in your face, just like it, stre- it oh stressed me gosh. out. Yeah. Well, but it, and this is this is the crazy thing too, right? When your cash flow is hot, like when you got some when you got some cash flow going on, like if you think about it like this, what's okay? I don't know what a median salary is, but if you went from barely scraping by financially, let's say you had an extra eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month coming in mm-hmm. because you actually got a job, you paid down some debt, you still have a thousand dollars left over. There's two things that happen. One, we have Parkinson's law, which dictates how the a task takes the amount of time we give to fill it. You know, when we have all day to write a song, it takes all day to write a song. But if you have two hours to get it done, because, you know, you're going to get tired by like 10, 1030, you will get a lot more done in those two hours than you would in the eight hours when you give yourself that time. So we can take advantage of efficiency principles that, that are universal. Like nobody's above this. Some people are like, yeah, I work 16 hour days and I'm like on fire throughout it. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're, you're delusional. Not. And you and I just laugh at you. <laughs> but when we take advantage of that combined with the fact that let's say you have a thousand dollars a month to invest. Okay, great. Well, now you could actually hire somebody to for $400 a month to take two hours you put into content and create your month of content out of it where you get a few high quality posts out per month from maybe just a few hours of your time because they're taking care of the rest of it for you. So now you're able to build your brand up and your relationships at a much further rate or have people in charge of doing initial outreach to people at a certain quantity per month to where they're helping push that along for you with that cash you're able to provide them. So now that investment over time allows you it helps you open up more opportunities like it's this upward spiral when you're able to actually put the money down and able to move the needle but when you're struggling you're not using your time well you can't afford to pay for help so you're doing it all yourself and you're in this 14 to 16 hour spiral where, where it never goes up like i had i paid steven and we he was living on the floor with me in the box there's two of us in there for six weeks because i valued having help over like 
anything else because I knew that the the sooner I could bring somebody on board, even if we were both sleeping on the floor together, <laughs> like it was two phone like two phone pads. You couldn't even open the door because like his feet, you know, uh, w- would block the door. Mm-hmm. But I knew that having him help me would pay off in the long term, and it did. So I think that's the other part where I just want people to understand that the power of having cash to to invest back and understanding that how that is an upward spiral forward when you get your money right and take that sacrifice in the short term instead of I work to barely pay my bills every month. I hope I never have a sore tooth or a flat tire or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know, COVID yeah. or yeah. And anything. And, and yeah. it's just, you got to hope everything's perfect every single month. Like I had a rock thrown through my fucking window on the street and that was $550. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't dude. ready for that, yeah, that would, I would it. literally be in debt right now if yeah. I tried to do it the other way. So who'd you make angry? Was, what's up? Who'd you make angry? <laughs> I don't know, bro. I, well, actually, there's there's some people in my family I've had to legally remove, so I thought it might be them, but I oh. didn't think there was no note, and uh, nothing's happened since, so I think we're fine. Incident. I, uh, yeah. Random yeah. incident. <laughs> That's a different story, though, and yeah. not related to the, the thesis of the podcast. No, I, <laughs> no. I, so and I think we'll we'll start landing it the plane here. I do want just uh, give the people, John, what are a couple of uh, cool songs that you're like the production or something that like really made your ear go, oh, dang, that was really cool. What are a couple things? Give us something to listen to. I need to refill my my playlists <laughs> oh man you know what's i've been like binging uh the group coaching calls in my new the program that i enrolled in so i haven't been listening to as much music which is mm-hmm. funny i've been listening to a lot of conversations about high ticket sales yeah and yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> and all that's kind of stuff but yeah oh and it doesn't even have to be something that's like current it could be something that you're like in the past has been like this was a shift so this is something that i heard that changed the game for me um okay i think something i don't know if i mean who knows i guess this will be my one thing the uh the band the main so like the state yep m-a-i-n-e love their record american candy is like just as great pop rock alt rock whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. adventure where it's so crisp and it's not as midzy as a lot of records are in that realm i like that it's a bit more scooped and poppy sounding and the production's like overly tight popness but it's still vi i don't know it, it walks a lot of these middle grounds really well but i don't feel like it's uh like nickelback you know gridded but it has a lot of energy and feel but it's overly tight and clean and it walked a lot of those lines for me that i've really really appreciated as a listener and then as a technician so that would probably uh the mains american candy that's Dope. that's definitely my record i, I uh i went through I think it was you did a cover of some of one of their songs and it got me back in on them. And I just jammed forever Halloween for like a long time. And I haven't Oof. gone back to American candy. So I need to go back and go yep. back and touch that one up. I feel like that would be very much in Josh's wheelhouse. Cause he's doing the whole pop ish kind of pop rock combined thing. Uh, yeah, dude, I feel like those would be a good one. Uh, well, John, thank you so much, man. 
for coming on and just chatting with us. There's so much that we didn't even get to. Like, I know. Like I want, like I want to talk about like your lifting and like health and stuff with you. And like maybe we'll have to have you on for a part two to talk about all the other stuff that like we didn't even get to touch. There's so much stuff we didn't even get to touch. <laughs> Yeah, like keeping yourself sane, like yeah. health wise through the process. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, should, I should get a better help affiliate link by then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> but anyway, dude, thank you so much for talking with us. I know you got to go and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but thank you from me and Josh for having this conversation and helping our everybody grow a little bit. Been fantastic to be here, guys. Yeah, dude. Great to like have a conversation with you, Josh. Yeah, this <laughs> and, is really great. Like finally talking to you and stuff. Yeah, we've like, evolved voice past like internet commenting friends to <laughs> yeah. to like the next tier now. So <laughs> our relationships really blossoming in twenty twenty one. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I know. it's already blowing Andrew. Up. I've already seen you. I don't care. Uh, love you too. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Bye. And that's it for this episode of the Home Studio Hangout Podcast. We want to thank John McLucas for coming on the show. If you enjoyed this, please go give him a follow on all social platforms at John underscore McLucas. He does a lot on TikTok, a lot on Instagram, and he's even got a YouTube channel where he does a lot of deep dive content. So check him out. Be sure to keep in touch with him. Tell him that you heard him on the podcast and say, hey, from us once again. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your time and your attention and keep on creating.